Welcome to Brief History. Today we're going to learn about the history of Soviet automobiles. We're going to talk about the history of them, how to obtain one, and how powerful were they. After the 1917 October Revolution, Rosiobalt was nationalized on August 15, 1918. The first company Rosiobalt uh, released was in 1922, and it was a copy of the Fiat 15 trucks. It was called the Ammo F-15. Around 6,000 to 6,500 were built between 1924 and 1931. Around the time World War II started, the Soviet Union stopped developing these work trucks and started developing more military-oriented vehicles. In 1927, the Soviet Union released the NAMI-1, which had the simplicity of a cycle car, but also uh, had the passenger capacity of a passenger car, so it was great for families at the time. This is when World War II came around. After the Soviet Union invaded Berlin, they confiscated a bunch of cars from the Nazi Germany, and they reverse-engineered them to see what made them so special. Afterward, they would start releasing copies of other European cars, so, uh, such as a couple of British cars. This would include the European model of the Ford Model AA, which was reverse-engineered by the Soviet Union to become the NAS AA. These cars were virtually identical, with uh, most of their parts being pretty much the exact same. I'm looking at the two pictures of them right now. They practically look the exact same. The fenders look the same. The headlights are shaped the same way. The doors are even about the same size. And everything looks really similar. The only difference is the roof, um, which was simplified in the Soviet Union to have a cloth top instead of a hard top. The doors also don't have windows. So most of the Soviet cars were simplified to be the so they would be cheaper in the factory to manufacture. There was also the European Ford uh, Perfect, which was converted into the Kim-10. The Kim-10 uh, was pretty mechanically indifferent to the Ford Perfect, and the Kim-10, instead of having four doors, was a two-door, and it, it was the wheelbase was slightly shorter, but mechanically was pretty much the exact same, with, sim with a slightly simpler engine, but with the drivetrain um, being really similar. Around the 60s, 70s, and 80s, Soviet Union started taking a different approach and started designing more of their own cars. These would include the Trabant and Lada, which were known across Asia and Eastern Europe to be very reliable. These cars would only have about 20 to 40 horsepower, so you would be lucky if you can get on the highway without getting a ticket from the police saying that you were too slow. Also, the suspension on these Soviet cars were known to be beefed up to withstand the um, rough Soviet roads since they were really under-maintained and not a lot of money was gone into them since no one really bought these cars in the Soviet Union. Ronald Reagan mentioned in his presidency how it would take a person 10 years to get a Soviet automobile. And here's a clip of him saying that. There's a 10-year wait. And you go through a, quite a process when you're ready to buy, and then you put up the money in advance. And this happened to a fellow, and this is their story that they tell, this joke. That this man, he laid down his money, and then the fellow that was in charge said to him, okay, come back in 10 years and get your car. And he said, morning or afternoon. <laughs> and... <clears throat> And the fellow behind the counter said, well, 10 years from now, what difference does it make? 
And he said, well, the plumber's coming in the morning. <laughs> It is true, it takes 10 years to acquire a Sobe car from the time you applied for it. And to apply for it, you probably need friends in the government, or you need the best employee in your company. And these companies were all government-owned, so everyone knew what was going on. There were no private companies in the Soviet Union. You would need to be the best worker in your business to get a car, for example, because your employer has to recommend you to the higher-up to get a car. Some people did have friends of the government. So they got their cars a lot earlier than, let's say, other people. But it was still a difficult process. It was, it's probably harder to get a Soviet car than actually raising a family. These cars would also not have basic features, such as heating and air conditioning, which we take for granted today. They would almost never have power windows. And overall, these were just really uncomfortable cars. And just way too difficult to get for what they are. Even maintaining these cars were a hassle. Even though they were extremely reliable, you would still have to open up the engine bay and check the fuel manually by, hit, by dipping in a dipstick into the fuel tank, which was in the front for some and pulling the stick back out to see how high up the wetness of the stick was. You'd also think locking a car, a pretty simple process, right? You put in a key and you turn it on any of the doors on the vehicle. And you can open it from the inside or outside. But, on a Trabant, there are two locks on the only two doors on the car. The driver and passenger. The passenger side can only be unlocked from the inside. And not vice versa. The driver's side was opposite. You can open from the outside, but not the inside. So, if you're a passenger trying to get into the car, maybe a kid for example, you wouldn't be able to get into the car at all. There were also no seatbelts, even throughout the 1980s. The factory only eventually put seatbelts in the front seats. The back seat passengers, however, kids, would not get anything. And, well, I guess they died. Communism right there. And when you get in through the driver's side door with your one lock, and you put on your non-existent seatbelt, you may finally appreciate that you're in a Trabant, and that'll probably be the last time you're in there, you're going to die because of the lack of safety. And turning on the car is another difficult process. Your car has to be in neutral. It cannot be in gear since it's a manual and uses a column shifter. And these column shifters are known to be really funky to drive with. And I'm not a driver myself. I'm 14 in the state of Georgia. So I don't, I can't drive yet. But a lot of my research, it tells me that Column shifters are very uncomfortable to drive with, and a lot of people didn't like driving with them. You also had to make sure your fuel pump was on, and there was three options on the fuel pump. Not on, some random option that apparently no one knows about on the internet, and R. You have to put your fuel pump into R, and then, well, your fuel pump will be turned on, and that's when you can hit the ignition and turn on the car. And make sure you hit the parking brake, because apparently, the YouTube videos I watched of people driving these cars forgot to use them. So, you're getting going. It sounds like a steam engine. And when, when the, you can hear the RPM of the car itself. And it's constantly throwing fire out the tailpipe. And 
these cars will probably not pass a mission. I don't know how this guy on the YouTube video got the car in the United States. It probably came in illegally because it probably has terrible emissions. It is efficient, uh, fuel mileage-wise, but it probably put out a ton of carbon monoxide, N-deoxide, some sort. And it will probably, this is probably the main reason why global warming is going on. So now you're getting up to hit the gas, and you're starting to go. And then you want to coast the car. However, you can't. It cannot be in first, second, or third gear when you're coasting. You have to put it in neutral and coast that way. Pretty uncomfortable since that would probably lead to worse fuel mileage because no human can think that hard to drive. And once you get going, you get used to the weird shifter. You then get into fourth gear, and then you can finally coast your magical turbant. And then you, s you hit the brake to stop at a stoplight. The brakes are terrible. Even though this car weighs like 15 pounds, it, the brakes are still terrible, and it takes you a couple seconds to stop fully after going 10 miles an hour because your turbant can barely move. The engine would then stall in place because you don't know how to use a shifter, and you have to <laughs> go through the entire process again of starting the car back up. Now that's your brief history on the Trabant. A terrible car. There's also a Lada and a couple other cars, but those weren't really available in the Soviet Union that much. And well, we're talking about the 80s, and most of the cars that were previous to this time were broken down and crushed because they were really quite terrible. Even though they were reliable, they were only reliable for like a couple of years because no one really owned it that much. Since they threw them in the trash the moment they got them. Now, see you on our next episode where we discuss another thing about crappy Soviet history, or maybe something.